Well, I'm happy to be here. And my name is Chad Cruiser. My wife is Fadia Cruiser. We've been traveling around for 20 years now. We do seminars on several different subjects, ranging from health subjects like the gut-brain connection, diabetes, overcoming type 2 diabetes. We do seminars on heart disease. And we do Bible prophecy seminars, and we also do seminars, and we teach on country living. We have a YouTube channel called Health and Homestead, where we teach people about research on natural remedies, health principles, and also just homesteading. That's why it's Health and Homestead. And so you can check us out on there if you want to learn more. But before we begin this morning, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study the prophetic call of country living. Lord, it seems every day that goes by, it seems clearer and clearer. The importance of, well, just number one, the amazing and unusual times that we're living in, and also the greater need of moving to the country. And we also see greater difficulty uh, rising up in the way to being able to do that. But we're also, we have a great promise that you've given to us that for those who are willing, you will open the door. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and give us wisdom now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a website called anchorpointfilms.com. That's our website, anchorpointfilms, but our YouTube channel. So you can just Google it or go on YouTube and type in health and homestead. Health and homestead. And we have, I don't know, I think almost 150 videos on there. And we try to put one out every single week. We sometimes miss a week, but very seldom, very seldom. So we don't have the slides, so it's okay. You'll, uh, you'll be able to understand the principles. Maybe, I, for the maybe for the next one we'll have that set up. But you may have seen that during the pandemic, although as if we're out of it, we're not out of it. We're actually you know, at the highest rates right now. Not the highest rates of death, praise the Lord, uh, but as far as people being infected, But during, especially earlier on during the pandemic, we had a convergence of two different things. We had a pandemic and then we had riots and looting and and dangerous situations in the city. And people, as a result of this, we're seeing in major news sources. Right here is an article called Coronavirus May Prompt Migration Out of American Cities. And this says that nearly one-third of Americans are considering moving to a less densely populated area because of the novel coronavirus outbreak, according to a Harris Poll survey. And so nearly a third of people considering moving to a less densely populated region. That's, that's a massive amount of people considering how many Americans are there. I mean, there's over 300 million Americans. That means Potentially upwards of over 100 million people are considering moving to a less densely populated area. Now, it doesn't mean everybody's looking to move to, to the mountains, per se. It means people in New York City maybe want to move to the suburbs. You know, it just, it's just to a less densely populated area. But each level might be looking for a less densely populated area. The people in the suburbs might be looking toward the country, and the people who just live outside of the cities in kind of a country region might be wanting to get further, right? And so the point is, is that society... Now, notice this does not say a survey of Seventh-day Adventists found that a third of them want to move to the country. These, this is just regular old uh, Joe Blow and Jane Blow American thinking of moving to the country, a third of them. So this is incredible. And the Bible says, why? Why would people be doing this? Jesus told us in Luke chapter 21, verse 26, men's hearts in the end of time, men's hearts failing them for fear and looking, and looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. That in the last days, men's hearts will be shaken because of fear. They see that something is coming upon the earth, whether it is riots, whether it is a pandemic, People are noticing things, they're fearful, and they, they sense that there's maybe freedom and safety, at least to some capacity, in country regions. And you can't see it, but when you look around during the pandemic, some of the major epicenters of the pandemic, especially toward the beginning of it, do you remember toward the beginning, where did we see some of the greatest 
you know, catastrophic events taking place because of the coronavirus. Do you remember? New York, right? New York City, you had Detroit, Michigan, and you basically had large centers of population, which are the driving force between pandemics. Because when you get a bunch of cattle together, and I'm not calling humans cattle, but when you drive through the valley here in California, you drive down interstate, or not interstate, you drive down 99, and you go through a putrefying stench. Have you ever driven down 99 or even, even up, up, up Interstate 5? It is unbelievable. When you get a bunch, when you get tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of animals, you shove them together, they're dropping feces on each other and right on the ground. It stinks, right? And it's a breeder of disease, so you have to give them all kinds of drugs to keep them, not healthy, to keep them alive, right? And when you crush humans together... Something similar happens. Sure, we have, you know, toilets and stuff, so it's not quite as bad, but it spreads disease. When you crush people together, it breeds an unhealthy state, right? And so we saw that, we've seen that during the pandemic. And just looking at some of the, you know, pop, pop news and so forth, this is, a, a, this is not this year, obviously. We're, but do you remember, obviously, we all remember the toilet paper shortage, right? Where uh, the, it looked like the world was coming to an end and, and people thought, but will I have toilet paper, right? Such an important thing. But here's an article that is, it, the title of this article is Vegetable Seeds Are the New Toilet Paper. Vegetable seeds, now, five years ago, I've said, if you read a title like that, you'd wonder what on earth they're talking about. You know, vegetable seeds are the new toilet paper. But today, we know exactly what they're trying to say. And now, right now, it's not as bad as it was when the article was written. But, but these are just uh, kind of harbingers of what could be in the future. That it became more difficult to get seeds. I mean, sure, you could maybe find some seeds, but many varieties were taken. They were gone. They were all purchased. And why was it? It's because so many Americans started to what? They started to garden. They started thinking. It's interesting that in the context of difficult times, people begin to think, how could I become a bit more self-sufficient? Right? So people, people begin to think, can I garden? Now, what if all the seeds were taken... And you wouldn't, you wouldn't have been able to buy any. Now, we can. Or if you lived in Michigan, where the governor made it illegal for a time. Illegal is probably not the right word, but she made a mandate. Mandates aren't actually necessarily always legally binding, but they made a mandate in Michigan that you couldn't buy seeds at the store during the pandemic for a while. You could go there. They could be there. You could buy other things, but you couldn't buy those because they were in the garden section, and that section was cut off. Now, okay, things have opened up again, but the point is this. Strange mandates could be made at the whim of a human being, and they could decide that this is non-essential. Growing food is non-essential, and you can't buy and sell seeds. Now, there were other ways to get around it. I get it, but... As we get toward the end of time, these things are just pictures, depictions of what could happen at the end of time if God's people are not preparing. I don't say this just simply to scare people. We were told this prophetically beforehand that we should begin to prepare for the times. And the good news is we don't have to let it scare us. As you prepare for a test, an upcoming test, those who are the most afraid are the ones who did not what? Study. You go into a test you didn't prepare for, you're the most nervous. But those who studied and studied and studied, sure, there's still, a, there's still a tension, you know, there's still a little bit of nervousness, but at least you know you know something, right? And the more we prepare, the better we are for those times, not only for ourselves, but we can be a greater asset and benefit to our community, right? So that we don't have to just be selfish, right? But we can actually selflessly help other people at the same time. Uh, this says seed companies can't keep up with as more Americans turn to growing their own food. Now, this was, uh, I mean, this was actually way back in 2020. So uh, this is not today. You can still get seeds today. But just an idea of what could happen. And I think God allows us to go through these things to kind of shake up his people so that we begin to recognize, wow, I better prepare. And some people say, well, things might start getting better. I can go back to my old life. But those who are wise will begin to seek to prepare for the times that we're living in. This article here is taken from The Economist. 
And the title of this article is called Some Hard Talk About Towns or Living in Cities. This is word for word the quote. It said, it is not just an urban myth. Life in a city really is getting more dangerous. And the sources of peril are not just human ones like muggers and reckless motorists. A report by the UN Habitat, an agency responsible for human settlements, says that the number of natural disasters affecting urban populations has risen fourfold since 1975. Interestingly enough, natural disasters have risen fourfold in cities specifically since 1975. And we were told that this was going to happen specifically in the cities. So we are seeing incredible things take place. Even the secular society is beginning to discover this. Notice what we are told in a book called Last Day Events, a compilation, page 95. It says, let all who would understand the meaning of these things... Read, this is fascinating, read the 11th chapter of Revelation. What is the 11th chapter of Revelation? The 11th chapter of Revelation talks about the two candlesticks, and it talks about a depiction and prophecy of France and the French Revolution. You can read about it in the book, The Great Controversy. And if you know anything about the French Revolution, what happened was society began to become more and more secularized to the point where they began to have burning and riots in the streets. They began to burn the Bible in the street. And they also, then they set up a dictator after that by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte. And... As this happened, fascinatingly enough, this this was, like I said, it was called the reign of terror. And it says, it says, let everyone who understands the meaning of these things, read the 11th chapter of Revelation, read every verse and learn the things that are yet to take place in the cities. She says what happened in the French Revolution, the secularization of society, getting rid of things like the Bible, burning the Bible, and, and then obviously, well, ultimately, they set up a dictator in the end. She said, read every verse there. She said, what happened in, those, in, in, in France there is going to be replicated at the end of time in the cities, specifically. And it, it says, read also the scenes portrayed in the 18th chapter of the same book of Revelation. Now, you may remember that during, during the riots that took place in places like either Seattle or Portland, you may remember they set up an area they called Chaz. Does anybody remember that? Uh, it, it was Capitol Hill uh, Autonomous Zone, right? And, um, and then it was also called CHOP, Capitol Hill Occupation Protest. Do you remember that? And what's interesting was, One of the things they themselves, the people inside of that, one of the things they did is they burned Bibles on the street and they compared themselves to the French Revolution. What do young people rioting know about 18th century France? The fact that somebody in those crowds knew enough history to cor- now, it wasn't like, oh, Chad Cruiser came up with this because he's trying to correlate prophecy with what's going on in, in rioting cities. No, the people in those cities were comparing themselves to the French Revolution. Now, here's the thing. Uh, that was, I think, once again, just a little picture of what is going to happen in the cities of America and in the cities of the world. I don't think that was the ultimate end fulfillment, but it's just like another, another harbinger, another sign that God is saying, listen, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. So I want to look at, for a moment, nature and theology. Some research that has been done on nature and theology. Just this morning, Dwayne Lemon was giving us a beautiful talk. One of the things he talked about were what? Two words, starts with an O and an L. Object lessons, right? And the things that we can learn from nature if we keep our eyes and our hearts open to the mysteries and the messages that God inscribes on leaf and stone and mountain and hill and river. And so if we keep our eyes open to that, but could the converse also be true that when we spend too much time in the city, too much time on our devices, we may not even think about God or his ways or his will. Listen to this. 
This is a study, a substantial study led out by 57 researchers in 20 different countries, revealed that people in rural or natural environments are more likely to believe in God than city dwellers. One of the reasons we were told specifically, if you've ever read the book Country Living, and I'll put you on the spot. Anybody ever read the book Country Living? Okay, probably more than half of us. If you haven't, This is super good news because it's like the shortest book ever written. It's 32 pages. You could read it in a day. You could sit down on a Sabbath afternoon and read the whole thing. I've read that book over and over and over because it stirs my soul. And I especially read it when I didn't live in the, when I didn't live in the country. I really wanted to live in the, in, the, in the country. And so for years I would search and look at land and, and pray and study and so forth. And long story short, uh, she tells us one of the main reasons, especially families with young children, should really be making the move to save their children's eternal life. Right? And a substantial study led out by 57 researchers in 20 different countries revealed that people in rural or natural environments are more likely to believe in God than city dwellers. This is unbelievable. Check this out. Another study. Participants were asked several different questions in a poll, and this is the question. If your beliefs offend someone or hurt their feelings, it is wrong. True or false? If your beliefs offend somebody else, then your beliefs are wrong, true or false. Now, notice what the conclusion was. Those who reside, young people who reside in the city, were six times more likely to agree with this statement. That if what I believe offends somebody else, then what I believe is wrong. What this tells us, and this is not to be pejorative or put people down, it's a simple fact. This shows that people in the city are six times more likely to be illogical than people that live in the country. Why do I say that? Because if, you, if what you believe offends somebody else, then what you believe is wrong. If you are an atheist, could that offend a Christian, yes or no? If you're a Christian, could that offend an atheist, yes or no? If you believe that 2 plus 2 is 4, is it possible you could offend somebody, yes or no? And so if you believe anything, then what you believe must be wrong because it might offend somebody, yes or no? Is that logical, yes or no? This isn't logical at all. And it shows that people in the city just don't have a a, a sense of, of reality. And, but when you grow up like on a farm or in the country, you learn the birds and the bees, you see how life works, you see that there's a cause and effect in everything around you, and you know there's a right and a wrong. But in the city, when everything is man-made and artificial in a sense, you don't know, maybe you can create reality because everything around you has been created, meaning the tall buildings around you, the televisions, the cell phones, the cars, Everything has been created and manipulated by man's hands. Maybe everything is just manipulated by what you think. And so whatever you think is true. But you live in the country and you're like, no, I I could think I'm a bird, but I'll find out real quickly I'm not when I jump off the tree, right? So you find out very quickly there's a right and a wrong, there's truth, and there's error. And so I say this not to be pejorative, but the point is if, especially young people, we have quite a number of young people here, I challenge you, if you get married someday and end up having children, don't wait until they're older. Seek as fast as you can to move to the country. Be careful. We'll talk about that in the next message on how not to have terrible mistakes moving to the country. Uh, But with God's guiding, go forward. But we'll talk more about that in the next presentation. The Bible says... John 6, 56, Jesus said, did Jesus, here, I'm asking this question, did Jesus ever say anything that offended someone? John 6, 56 says, Jesus said these words, he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. You think, oh, isn't that beautiful? Jesus says we need to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. And we think, wow, yeah, we need to do that, right? But what happened after he said that? A few verses later, it says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, at what he just said about eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, he said unto them, does this offend you? Did Jesus offend people, yes or no? He asked the question because he knew he just offended them by saying they needed to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. Should Jesus not say anything to ever offend anybody? No, he did. And if we are human, we will at some point offend people 
unless we just keep our mouth silent all the time, but somebody might be offended by that also, right? So there's really nothing you can do. This right here is taken from a book called Early Writings, page 85. We're going to look at, there's a distinction between something called the time of trouble and something that precedes the time of trouble. We call it the little time of trouble, but she never calls it that. But it makes sense because you try to describe, like the, the millennium, there's no, the Bible doesn't talk about the millennium per se. It talks about the thousand years, but that's a millennium, so we call it that. And the little tr- time of trouble, you can find it, it's just not in those words. Notice what she says. The commencement of that time of trouble, here mentioned, does not refer to the time when the plagues shall begin to be poured out. So not that time of trouble, but to a short period just before they are poured out while Christ is in the sanctuary. At that time, while the work of salvation is clothing, closing, trouble will be coming on the earth. And the nations will be angry, yet held in check so as not to pre- prevent the work of the third angel. At that time, the latter rain or the refreshing from the presence of the Lord will come to give power to the loud voice of the third angel and prepare the saints to stand in the period when the seven last plagues shall be poured out. What an unbelievably intense and exciting time. But it says before the plagues are poured out in the time of trouble, there's a time of trouble before that, but yet the the Holy Spirit is still being poured out and the gospel is still being going forth and the three angels' message are still being shared. And so I, I share that to make a distinction. There's a difference between, between the time of trouble and this little time of trouble and the latter rain will be poured down on those who are yielding their hearts to their Savior Jesus, spending time with their Lord, spending time in nature and, and in the Word and, and learning the object lessons that Jesus has for their own soul. But we're going to get back to the time of trouble in just a little bit. Did you know that 2017, Federal Report says that 2017 shattered U.S. damage record for natural disasters. Did you know that the expense of natural disasters in the United States, the worst in history, was in 2017? Do you remember what happened in 2017 that made it so bad? I don't either. Do you realize how strange that is? The worst year of natural disasters were like, I don't even remember that happening. What that means is there's so many things going on that it's kind of like hard to even pay attention. Like I remember I was working, I was in high school or yeah, high school at the time and I was moving furniture to make a living while in school. And I was, I was in this building uh, basically where they'd store a lot of the furniture and someone had the radio on and it was, it was, they were talking about this school over in Colorado called Columbine and how these two guys had shot up the school. And it was like, what? What on earth? These guys came in with like, you know, rifles basically and just started blowing people away. And it was just like, whoa, I can't believe it. Who's ever heard of this before? And now we hear it like all the time. So can you even think of the last school shooting that's taken place? No, because it's so common, right? And same, same thing with the natural disasters, like the greatest natural disaster time period in 2017. We can't even remember because we're like, well, I guess it happens all the time. We don't even you know, group it together anymore. But God is calling us to prepare. He gives us commands in his word. And the Bible says this in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 24. It says, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, meaning all the things God commands his people to do in the Bible. Everything he calls us to do, they're called statutes or laws. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. The Bible says the reason God gives us his commandments are for our own good. Meaning God doesn't call you to do something just to like bother you, annoy you, and make your life worse. No, everything he commands you to do is for your own good. He wants what's best for you. And it also says, not only is it for our good always, but it says that he might preserve us alive. There's a life preservation, a longevity benefit to God's commandments. Now, we just saw this, that all God's commandments are for our good. Now, I'm going to tell you, right now what you desire more than anything else on planet earth because i already know i know what every one of you wants right now more than anything else 
This is what we're told. Man's strongest impulse, humanity's strongest desire. She tells us this. Your strongest impulse urges you to seek your own happiness. That's your greatest desire. Everybody wants to be happy. She says, man's strongest impulse urges him to seek his own happiness. And the Bible recognizes this desire and shows us that all heaven will unite with you in your efforts to gain true happiness. Meaning, God knows you want to be happy. The Bible recognizes this. And we are assured that all of heaven, that means the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all the angels of heaven, have a unified goal. And one of their goals is to make you happy. Isn't that amazing? Imagine if there were millions of people who had it, their, their sole purpose, not their sole purpose, but one of their sole purposes was to make you happy. Would you like that? Yeah, I think I would like that, right? Millions of people like, oh, I, I want to make you happy, right? I mean, we would love that. And yet, it's not true. There aren't millions of people that would want to make you happy. But there are millions of supernatural beings that want to make you happy. But notice it says they're unified in bringing about your true happiness. There is a semblance of happiness when you get high. I'm not going to lie. You laugh, you have fun, it feels good until the high goes away and then you're depressed. Is that true happiness, yes or no? Sin feels good. The Bible doesn't even lie about it. It says the passing pleasures of sin because they are, there is a pleasure in sin, but they're passing God wants to give you eternal happiness, not just in the future, not just in heaven. He wants us to have joy on planet Earth. And all the angels, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are collaborating to bring about your happiness. So we're talking about country living. What does this have to do with anything? So let's ask the question, according to research, who is happier, people in the city or people in the country? The general social survey that has been conducted since 1972 to 2012 reveals that those who live in large American cities are statistically the, what? Least happy people in America. It also reveals that people who live in small towns or rural areas are the happiest. All of God's commandments are for our, what? Good. Now, it's, I'll show it to you here. Um, this here is the actual chart giving you an idea. This here is, this is how happy, the taller the bar, the happier you are. This here at the bottom is, this is areas that have 600,000 to 8 million people. The largest areas in America are like twice as unhappy, more than twice as unhappy as those who live in the least you know, uh, congested areas. And they get progressively happier and happier. There's one outlier right here for whatever reason. Drops a little in areas of five to 8,000. But then you drop, then it, you're significantly happier in three to 4,000 areas. And if you live in an area of zero to 2,000 people, you are the happiest people in society. Isn't that good news? Now, there's something about it. Listen to this. This is taken from my life today. We are told nothing so tends to restore health of health and happiness. One of the things, I went through 10 years of depression, 10 years of horrible, horrible depression. I kept going forward. I kept traveling, kept making documentary films, kept preaching, kept sharing the gospel, kept presenting Jesus and salvation, even though I felt lost, felt totally lost. But I was seeking God. I was praying. I was seeking to make my heart right with God. I would some mornings go out in nature and spend hours praying and asking for forgiveness, reading my Bible. And I would pay thousands of dollars to try to right the wrongs of my past and fix things I had messed up. And I had zero peace every time I would try to make something wrong, wrong right, right. And so I had no peace. But... God changed my life, I can tell you that, and we do a whole seminar on that called the Gut-Brain Connection. What ended up really helping me, I had gut trouble that, we lived in Iceland, got stomach trouble, and uh, for 10 years struggled with that. My stomach's never been the same, but praise the Lord, I've learned how to um, be happy. That's good news from God's principles. But listen to this, nothing so tends to restore health and happiness 
as living amid attractive country surroundings. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when I was depressed, I would read the Bible in the spirit of prophecy and all I would see was condemnation. As if they were only seeking, you know, Jesus says, you know, in John 3, 16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then, then after that, it goes on to say that Jesus did not come in the world to what? Condemn the world. And yet every time I read the Bible, I felt like it was simply made for the sole purpose of condemning me. I knew deep down that it wasn't, but I felt like it was. Does that make sense? And uh, when finally God brought me out of the depression, um, when God brought me out of the depression, something happened. I saw in the Bible and in the spirit of prophecy, do you know that Ellen White talks all the time about God wanting you to be happy? Over and over and over, she said, God wants you to be happy. She'll talk to young people. He wants your happiness. He wants you to be happy. And I noticed like, after I you know, wasn't depressed anymore, I could see what I couldn't see before. Because when you're depressed, you see the whole world under like dark glasses. And then when those dark glasses are taken off, you're like, wow, there's light everywhere. And then I see all the light, not only in the word and in nature and in the world and experiences, but this began to happen in my life. But this is one of the things she says, nothing tends to bring about health and happiness as living amid attractive country surroundings. So... The question is often asked, anytime you talk to someone about, not anytime, but often when you talk to people about country living, they'll say, well, Chad, who is going, who are going to, who's going to share the gospel in the cities? You know, there is a rule that once you move to the country, you can never visit the city, right? (laughs) Right? It's impossible. I mean, I live in the country. I haven't been in the city ever since, right? No, I was just in the city preaching the gospel this weekend, right? So... Yes, it doesn't all end because you moved to the country. Can people who live in the country never visit Yosemite? Or who live in the city, rather? No, we, we live, still it's a free country, at least to this point. It's becoming less free all the time, but, but we still have that freedom. And we're told the gospel is going to shut down in the cities first. So we do need to go share the gospel with the cities. Amen? Amen. And who's going to do it? Is it only going to be the people living in the cities that are able to share the gospel with people in the country? I said it backward. I keep, boy, I'm I'm not doing well here. Uh, Is it only people who live in the city who are able to preach the gospel to people that live in the city? The answer is no. Even us who live in the country can take time. We can go off and we can share the gospel in the cities. And we should be a part of that work. We're actually told this. This is, this is prophetic. This is by a messenger of God. Listen to this, these words. The cities are to be worked from outposts. Said the messenger of God, shall not the cities be warned? Yes. Not by God's people living in them, but by their visiting them to warn them of what is coming upon the earth. So who is supposed to be te- preaching the gospel in the cities? The people that live in the country. So if you move to the country, your gospel work is not over. You don't get to hide in the country and think, I'm just going to hide it out for the next 10 years until Jesus comes or whatever. That is not God's goal for his people. Now, I am not a big sports fan. Actually, my, my dad was a lover of sports. And sometimes we rebel against our parents. Sometimes if you have religious parents, you rebel against them and you go secular. Uh, sometimes if your parents love whatever, you rebel against that. Well, my dad absolutely loved sports, and I didn't really care for him. But I'm going to tell you something fascinating anyway about a guy in sports. I'm not saying it to promote him an NFL player, the National Football League. A man by the name of Jason Brown, one of the best centers of all time. This man had a $37 million contract with the St. Louis Rams. And here he was, and here he was... I mean, to get to the NFL is very, very, very difficult. To get a job that is guaranteeing you $37 million if you keep playing is an amazing opportunity. He quit the NFL to start a farm. To start a farm. And his, his agent was working with him and he said, this is the biggest mistake of your life. You're making a terrible mistake. And Jason Brown said, no, I'm not. 
I'm sure it wasn't very persuasive to his agent. You know, he's like, you're going to start a farm when you have been when you have been offered thirty seven million dollars to play football. You have made a massive mistake. He said, no, I'm not. No, I have not. And what ended up happening was he said, I have never felt once he started his farm, he he calls it first fruits. He must be a Christian. He calls it first fruits farms. And you know what he does? He grows things like sweet potatoes and other things. And he gives away a massive portion of this food to poor people. And he said, I have never felt more successful in my life. What? Wouldn't you feel like being the strongest dude around, the strongest man who who plays football, one of the best centers in the NFL? Don't you think you feel successful? He's like, that was nothing. What's really amazing is living on a farm and growing food. That's fulfilling. Wow. Maybe God has a high calling for your life too. Much higher than the NFL. Amen? I'll say amen. Amen. Right? (laughs) So, did you know this? Young educated people, I don't care if you're educated or not, if you go into farming, but this is just what they're finding. Young educated people are moving into farming. For the second time in the last 100 years, more young people are getting into farming. When I was a kid, I remember my parents. My parents, you know, uh, I'm, I'm originally from Michigan, and Michigan has two major universities, University of Michigan and Michigan State University. Very similar names. But Michigan State University was known as a farm college. They had all kinds of degrees, but it was also an agricultural school. I actually really appreciate them because they come out with phenomenal research because it's a research university on on, on agriculture. But that's beside the point. It was kind of disparaged and looked down upon like, oh, that's a farm school. Back then, people looked down on agriculture. Today, young people are looking at agriculture and farming, and they're like, you're a farmer? That's awesome. I would love to do that, right? Because they see the freedom. They see the joy. They see a level of independence that you can never have in many of the other jobs that are out there. And so, uh, 69% of young farmers are college educated. And you don't have to be. That's not my point in saying that. It's just fascinating that that is the case. And so, what about farming we've talked about the benefits to it psychologically we've talked about it the prophetic import that god is calling his people out but the healing garden here is research i I could go on and on about this i won't i won't go on and on about it but there is research on the benefits of the healing garden what do we see scores scores of studies have been conducted on gardening and how it affects health Listen to this. Imagine if you could find a pill like this. Gardening has benefits on levels of anger, anxiety, body mass index, weight, mental function, depression, fatigue, life satisfaction, loneliness, mood, self-esteem, tension, and vigor. What if there was a pill that could make your life better in all of these areas? I mean, think about that. We're going to read them again. What if you could have less anger? What if you could have less anxiety, a better body mass index if you struggle with weight, if better mental function, lower levels of depression, more energy, higher life satisfaction, less loneliness, a better mood, Self-esteem, not in the negative, I'm guessing not the negative aspect that Ellen White would talk about, but probably not. Ellen White says we should have self-respect. That, that is an important thing, to have self-respect. And then lower levels of tension and vigor. You get all of that from gardening. Do you see why God's commandments are for our what? They're for our good. This is incredible. It's amazing. What about nature, the cancer killer? I don't want to make it sound like nature will get rid of all cancer, but this is unreal. There's something called natural killer cells. Researchers call them, in the, in the studies, they call them NK cells. And what they have found is that natural killer cells, are our bodies have an immune system. One of the components of that are natural killer cells. These are cells in your body that they're, Design, they target and seek out aberrant cells like cancer cells. And so you have had cancer almost guaranteed. It's just a part of life that we produce cells that are 
because of the sin of this world, maybe radiation, maybe bad food, maybe toxicity, maybe all kinds of things, that you have cancer produced in your body. But typically, if you have a healthy, natural killer cell level, they will go and attack and destroy these. People who have more natural killer cells have less cancer. Well, what have they found? This is incredible. 12 males, small study, but still quite fascinating, 12 males from large corporations in Japan were taken on a three-day, two-night trip into the forest. They spent time walking in a Hinoki cypress forest. 11 out of the 12 had nearly 50% higher levels of natural killer cell activity, but they also saw an increase in the number of natural killer cells. So by going and spending time in nature, and guess what, where are we here? Well, we're in a beautiful building. So, uh, but, but uh, right outside of here is something called Wonder Valley, right? Where, especially this morning, you have all the mist in the mountains and all around us. We're in this valley. It's a beautiful area with animals and so forth. And as you get out into this, what happens is your natural killer cells, the vigor of them, their energy level, as it were, are going to increase, not only that, your body's going to produce more natural killer cell activity, and so your body is going to be better able to fight what? Cancer. Is this good news, yes or no? Yes. Notice all God's commandments are for our good, always that it might preserve us alive. There's a longevity factor of God's commandments. Then, the change began to take place in one day in these people. And they did another study. 11 of the 12 men took the same length trip into the city and walked the same amount these men had walked in nature, two and a half kilometers. They saw no benefit to natural killer cell activity in the city trip. You might be thinking, well, it's because they went on walks and exercise is good for you. It is good for you, but it doesn't seem to benefit natural killer cell activity if you do it in the city, right? It works in the country. The benefit to what the Japanese call forest bathing and that doesn't mean you have to go take a shower outside it just means spending time in nature lasted for a month so that means they share that it may be beneficial to take a monthly trip into the forest to enhance your immune function you know what would be even better than that living in nature right you'd be happier and you'd be potentially healthier right and then they say, well, what was, what was the factor? I think there's several, but here's one of the potential factors. Yeah, this science is a funny thing, and I get it. This is the way they work, and it's kind of silly. But there are, there's, a, there's a modicum of truth to it, but it's also kind of a, a farce. But they, they want to find what is the one factor that helps your immune function. It's kind of like saying, why does a car drive? And you say, a car only drives because of a motor. Is that true, yes or no? No. If you only had a motor, how fast would your car go? It wouldn't move an inch. It might rattle around on the ground. But you need tires. And you need a steering wheel. There's all kinds of factors that make a car drive. And our body doesn't function off one factor. You don't have health simply because vitamin C exists. Yes or no? There's all kinds of factors. But nevertheless, this is from the International Journal of Immunopathology and Pharmacology, Cypressent Enhancing Immune Function. What did they find? A small study of 12 men who slept in a hotel room with a vaporizer with Hinoki cypress oil. This is the oil from those trees that they had in the, that they were walking through the forest. And these men would be in the room from 7 p.m. to 8 a.m. And this experience decre decreased stress hormone levels and significantly increased natural killer cell activity. So I know sometimes we think, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to say like every single kind of uh, uh, aromatherapy works or something like that, or all essential oils do exactly what the person selling you them uh, say. But there is some truth, at least some of them, at least, at least this one, Hinoki cypress scent can lower levels, according to research, lower levels of stress, and it can increase natural killer cell activity. But it didn't work as well as being in nature. So it's a factor, but not the only factor. You follow? So getting out in nature. But hey, if you live in the city and you can't always be out in the country, you can get yourself some Hinoki cypress oil and put it in your diffuser, and you're welcome to do that. You know? But I, I'm, not, I'm not here selling, selling that kind of stuff. I'm just letting you know. So now, did God know about this? If God knew that there was this beautiful scent that could help us in the trees, maybe God should have just like told us, right? Well, guess what? 
He did tell us. Look at this. We are told, Second Selective Messages, page 301, light was given that there is health in the fragrance of the pine, the cedar, and the fir. And there are several other kinds of trees that have medicinal properties that are health-promoting. Let not such trees be ruthlessly cut down. Let them what? Live. You know, I just met someone on, on my YouTube channel. I, I uh, you know, show all kinds of things. Like, I'll be, you know, cutting down a tree or working with this or that or whatever. Somebody just came up to me this weekend, and they're like, you got to stop cutting those trees down on your property, <laughs> you know, because probably because these kind of things. And the thing is, I also need to grow food, right? Uh, so on, on your property, you can't just walk around and sniff the trees, right? Uh, there is, there are other things you have to do, right? And so, but they're a friend of mine, and so it's okay. But uh, they hadn't seen me in quite some time, and they see me cutting down trees and, on the channel, and they just, they're trou- it troubles their soul. But, um, but nevertheless... Nevertheless, God told us this before any of the research ever came out, right? God is amazing. Honestly, I'll tell you, when I became a Seventh-day Adventist, the spirit of prophecy annoyed me. Be totally honest with you. Nobody comes into the church and like, that's great. There was a woman in the 19th century, and she's a prophetess. People don't like that naturally. And those who read her the, last, the least like her the least. But you start reading those books and it will blow your mind. It will change your life. It made me happier than I have ever been in my entire life. It overcame my depression. She gave me a suggestion. I gave it a try. It changed my life. I, if I wouldn't have become a uh, Seventh-day Adventist, I probably would have been depressed for the rest of my life. And so I'm so thankful for this. And I, I love studying science. And if you watch my YouTube channel, you'll see the research from, uh, you know, peer-reviewed journals time and time again showing that she was right. Every single time. It blows my mind, but why should it? I should be used to it by now. But let's go forward. Revelation 13, verse 17 warns us that a time is coming that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. We talked about this. There's going to be a time of trouble where you cannot buy or sell. But before that, we're going to find that it is difficult to buy or sell. We can't imagine today that it ever would be difficult to buy and sell things like houses, right? What are we seeing in the prices of land and houses? It's skyrocketing. My, my cousin, I think he bought a house, Austin, Texas area, actually a suburb. But, but within, I think, two or three years, the price of his house doubled. I mean, we're like, we, I don't know if we're on the cusp of hyperinflation. I hope we're not. But your house doubling in a couple of years is close to hyperinflation, right? Uh, I mean, it's close in that situation. You think, this is wonderful. My house doubled in price. The trouble is, so did the other ones outside of there. So you sell and it's still expensive. You think like, this is wonderful. I have all this equity now. Well, that's kind of nice, but it's expensive other places. So that, that's part of the difficulty. But the time is going to come where it's going to not only be hard, but it will be impossible. It says in chapter 18, verse 17, that the time is coming for in one hour, so great riches is come to naught. The time is going to come where I'm guessing we will have hyperinflation because I don't know when, but at some point it becomes nothing. This has happened in Earth's history in Zimbabwe, where the Zimbabwe dollar became worth, like one dollar uh, $1 would be like four billion Zimbabwe dollars. And then it became, it came to naught. It came to nothing. Same thing happened in Germany. Same thing happened in Austria. Same thing happened in Venezuela, right? This happened across the world. And could it happen... Uh, if we print money and print money and print money, what happens to the value of the money? It goes down and down and down, right? And things become more and more expensive. And then often people blame the businesses for increasing the prices, but they had to pay more to get the stuff, right? I mean, that's just kind of the way it works. And I'm not here being political. It's just, just the way it works. And the time is coming where the money will come to nothing. Well, Abraham Lincoln, wise and prescient man that he was, said this, population must increase rapidly, more rapidly than in former times. And ere long, the most valuable of all arts will be the art of deriving a comfortable subsistence from the smallest area of soil. Isn't that powerful? I mean, in his day, there was tons of land. They were literally like giving away land in America. 
And here he is at a time where it's like anybody, I mean, 40 acres, whoop-de-doo, right? And, and he was like, the time is coming where there's going to be so many people, there's going to be hardly any room. And so the most important thing will be how to learn how to grow enough food for you and your family on a small plot of land. Do you think he was right, yes or no? Yes. yes. We are getting closer and closer, I believe, to that point. The one asset we have is that most people, even though I I shouldn't say it, well, I guess most it is true. Only 33% of people are looking to move more, you know, to less densely populated areas. If if 80% wanted to, I would have never, ever been able to afford it. So there is one benefit that most people want to live in the cities. It's the fact that you might be able to buy something because not everybody wants to move there. But he says, we need to learn these things. And so we were told in the spirit of prophecy the people should learn as far as possible to depend upon the products that they can obtain from the soil. So we're told that we should learn to grow our own food. How many of you have ever had a garden or worked in a garden or had fresh food right from a garden before? How does it taste compared to the stuff at Walmart? Way better, right? Way better. I mean, it's so true. Like somebody just, you know, we were just down in Southern California. Somebody bought us a box of strawberries that are fresh right now. How do they compare to the ones in the store? Way better typically, right? How is it when, when you go and you, you pick a fresh piece of fruit from the tree? Or you're in a tropical country and you, you eat a fresh mango. I mean, it's unbelievable. I was in Jamaica and I ate a a mango and it tasted like icing on a cake some of you may not like that obviously i'm a bit of a sweet tooth to even compare it to that but although i'm a crazy sweet tooth but you know how i get my fix fruit i eat ridiculous amount of fruit dates dried fruit and all of those things have scientific benefit i I just did a the latest video on my youtube channel is on uh, six amazing benefits of dates looking at the research the benefits on pregnancy the benefits on mood and depression and uh even what about the blood sugar levels we look at the research you can check it out there but the the point is this we are told that we should learn as far as possible depend on our own food that we can gain from the soil and what does it do it actually is tastier so god's like listen you need to eat tastier food do you realize the things god commands us to do are like the things that make us happier Isn't that amazing? We don't think about it, but that's what he's like. I want you to be happy. Go out there and be happier, okay? That's what he says. So, now here, now, one of the things, okay, before you read that, I'm going to let you read that. Uh, Many people, not many, it's common when when you say, yeah, I want to raise my own food, and and the immediate response of many people in the church is, ah, don't be fanatical. We're told not to store up food for the time of trouble. And it is true, we are told that. So does that mean we shouldn't raise our own provisions because we're not to store up food for the time of trouble? In Ellen White's day, have you ever read how many um, jars that she would can? Do you ever read what she says? She's like, we had 130 jars of this. We had this many jars of this and this many jars of this. And it's like, was she storing up for the time of trouble? (laughs) No, you know what she was storing up for? Winter. Is that, now to us, that's strange. We're like, that's crazy to have that many jars in your basement. Or in your, but it used to be what? Normal. Yes or no? It used to be just, you, you didn't say when you went over to your friend's house, you went in the basement and you saw a few hundred cans. You didn't think like, what fanatics? You thought, well, look like they're ready for winter, right? That's what you thought. And we, we think today, the only people who aren't fanatics are those who trust wholly and implicitly in Walmart. <laughs> yes or no? Those are the people who are not fanatics. But those who grow, raise their own provisions, those people are nuts and loony. But let's go and find out what she says. She tells us, the Lord has shown me repeatedly, this is the quote that people used to say, don't do it. The Lord has uh, shown me repeatedly that it is contrary to the Bible to make any provision for our temporal wants in the what? Time of trouble. Are we living in the time of trouble today? 
Has probation closed? Can you not buy or sell today? Yes, you can. So we're not living in the time of trouble. And people try to apply this to when you can buy and sell or when it's difficult to buy or sell. But the, the, the statement is about when it's impossible to buy or sell, the time of trouble. It says, I saw that if the saints laid up food, uh, had, laid, had food laid up by them in the field or in the, well, well, I'm losing my, in the, uh, oh, sorry, had food laid up by them, so in their house, or in the field in the time of trouble, when sword, famine, and pestilence are in the land, it would be taken, them, taken from them by violent hands and strangers would reap their fields. Then, the time of trouble, will be the time for us to trust wholly in God, and he will sustain us. I saw that our bread and water will be sure in the time of trouble, and that we shall not lack or suffer hunger, for God is able to spread a table in the wilderness. If necessary, he would send ravens to feed us, as he did feed Elijah, or rain manna from heaven, as he did for the Israelites. So if you apply this to today, you could say, well, God says... We can trust wholly in him for food, and he will bring ravens to feed us, so let's just go outside and wait for lunch. Yes or no? Nobody applies the second half to today, but the first part they do. Do you see the problem here, yes or no? This is not talking about today. She tells us we should raise our own provisions today, and as we come to the little time of trouble, but the time comes where we have to let go of everything. We can't trust in our lands and in our house and all of these things. The time is coming. She tells us we should pray when we are to sell our houses. And she says, if we do not pray, God will not show us. And our houses will become like a mountain crushing us. I don't think that means our houses will fall upon us. But rather, it will be like, I could have... I could have gotten rid of it. I could have used that money for the gospel message because now I'm going to lose it anyway. Now I'm going to lose it because I hoarded it to myself and maybe many souls could have been one. Now, all of us have to make that prayer and I'm guessing he won't tell every one of us at the exact same time to sell either. He might tell you one day and he tells me two weeks or a year later. I mean, it could be vice versa, you understand. But we need to each be open to the Spirit of God. But yes, yes, we're not to save up for the time of trouble. But what about before the time of trouble? This is what she says. 19 manuscript releases, page 229 and 30. Again and again, the Lord has instructed that our people are to take their families away from the cities into the country where they can raise their own provisions. For in the future, the problem of buying and selling will be a very serious one. Many do not see the importance of having land to cultivate, of raising fruits and vegetables, that their tables may be supplied with these things. And if you raise these things, how are you going to store them? You have to be able to store them up for the winter. Now, are we supposed to be done? Yes? Okay. Well, I am going to, I'm going to read one last quote. This is what we're going to end with. The earth has blessings hidden in her depths for those who have courage. It takes courage to go out and do this. Courage and will and perseverance. It takes perseverance to gather her treasures. Fathers and mothers who possess a piece of land and a comfortable home are what? Kings and queens. And friends, God can do this in your life. We are not to store up for the time of trouble, but we are to raise our own provisions to be able to make it through the winter. Unless you live in Southern California and grow all your food all year long, you're going to have to store up for the winter. You may have to do some dehydration. You may have to do some canning. You may have to find ways to raise your own provisions. Friends, we are living in incredible times. Jesus is coming soon. A third of Americans want to move further out. I wonder, do a third of Adventists want to? Lord, help us that we will see that the world, sometimes Jesus said the world in their generation is often wiser than the children of light. Friends, let us be open. Don't rush. We're going to look into ways not to make a crazy mistake when you move into the country, not to regret it, not to have a terrible experience. That's our next message where we look at how to have joy instead of a burden when you move to the country and not make those mistakes. Well, let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, our loving Savior, who as we've seen and seen through these quotes, that he wants what's best for us, not just what's best for us, he wants what will make us happy here on earth 
but happy for eternity. Thank you for these wonderful things you've given into us. And Lord, I pray that more and more we would yield our hearts to Jesus by faith that as we obey him, we will have a joy that is beyond maybe anything we've experienced so far. And that we would be a light to our communities. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.